Charlie, there's as something you can of see, the uh, Breaking Bad going on over there. There is. There's something we don't know what he's doing, <laughs> but this is this is horseradish. Hello and welcome to the Fine Food Podcast with me, Sam Wilkin. Uh, Happy New Year. We're in 2019 and the noise you can hear behind me is the sound of Great Western Railway train running from London down to Chippenham. Now, I'm heading west again, as always with food and drink in this country. People often find themselves heading west. Uh, And I'm going to visit Guy Tulberg at Tracklemans. So Tracklemans famous uh, originally, I guess, for their mustard, their whole seed mustard, uh, but now increasingly for all sorts of different delicious chutneys and things to have alongside cured meats, cheeses and and all the rest. Uh, So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, how how you take essentially something that you can make on a stovetop and expand it to become a company that exports globally. So I'm on my way down to Chippenham to visit Guy Tilburg for the Fine Food Podcast. The simple thing, and I always like the idea of, uh, was it Michael Pollan's quote? Uh, Don't have anything your grandmother wouldn't recognise. So we like that from a raw material perspective, but you'll also notice that as you go through the factory, we've really got machines in there that you will recognise. So we're walking past big pallets of sea salt, of vinegar. We've got tamarind paste there. We've got various juices that we use. We've got our sugar. We've got mustard seed. We've got things like spices, dates, sultanas. So it looks a little bit like my larder at home, but on a massive scale. We are on a massive scale. Yeah. And, and a lot of people listening to this podcast you know, who are interested in food and will probably have had a go at making chutneys and things like that at home. And I guess the, the, the process that we're talking about here is essentially the same. I've seen this business go from my father's kitchen where he made the first batches of mustard. And he made the first batch of mustard, that was 1970. He made them in a dustbin. So, sorry, listeners, to put you off that. Remember, we haven't really advanced very much from that. You'll see that. And part of that is that process. If it ain't broke, we might as well carry on doing it. Uh, you'd be pleased to know that we've moved on. I remember seeing my father roll up his sleeve and he'd wash it under the tap and he'd get his arm and he'd put it into this barrel and he'd do this with it. And he goes, well, it works. So we use paddles now. So right. <laughs> we've moved on. But the thing that I remember and I get when I, when I come into this space is the smell. Mm. And I, this smell is like, a, it's like a Pavlov's dog thing for me, that it triggers all my you know, saliva glands, mm. and I think, gosh, we're going to go and eat something. Because we started, or well, my father started with mustard, and he'd have these sausage parties, not every Saturday, but every so often he had sausage or beer parties. And he'd put these sausages out, and he'd make mustard. And we still got the original mustard grinder uh, here. Was it, uh, is it right, it was a coffee grinder? It's a coffee grinder, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. So we've still got it, it does work. Uh, I've taken it to demos, so when I've done mustard making demos, I've taken it, it works. So we've got that thing, and he used to make mustard. And like all good businesses, that's sort of where it started. It started not because someone said, I think I see an opportunity. It started because somebody said, I like this. Mm. It goes well with these sausages <laughs> I enjoy. It goes well with these sausages I enjoy. Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, and I like beer, by the way. So, so And that drew, I mean, presumably that nice combination of sausages, beer and, and good mustard ended up in your, your local, is that right? One of yeah, your first yeah, customers? Yeah, absolutely. Well, well um, pub seems an obvious place. So yeah, it was the first, the first customer, and then the first butcher customer, and our first deli customer, which was in, uh, in Devizes, is still there, still going, still a customer. 
So that is something I would think they're coming up. They're about the same age as mm. we are in terms of customers, so, so we like that. And it goes on from there, those stories go, go on from there. We learned that to make the mustard, it has to have time. It has to sit in the barrel doing its stuff. So harsh. how long is a batch of mustard? I mean, I guess you could use a... It's maturing. It's, uh, it's a live... It's actually yeah. a really live product. Mm, mm. Um, I mean, I know there's a huge move towards having live product. I mean, when it's not a fermentation because our, our role is really, as preservers, is to take a raw material and hold it. So the reason I mentioned Breaking Bad earlier when we were walking past the horseradish and Charlie is he's wearing a, a respirator. <laughs> yes. It probably was a slightly odd thing to say without explanation. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow, look at this. So what's this coming out now? So this is the strong English mustard. Okay. Uh, and what we don't want, we, we, we mix that because we, what we don't want is any lumps in that. So we've got two, like, two, two processes to, that are going on in front of us. You've got the, stro the strongest mustard, the horseradish, mm -hmm. going into effectively a giant magic mix. I then come into a place that has you know, a huge amount of history for us. So this is our, our mustard room. So it's the grinding room, but it's also the mustard maturing room. And one of the reasons that we have this in a separate place is because, well, you'll know when we open a barrel, but, but um, when we open these things up, and we lean over, and you know what they say, and uh, be very careful. Woo! Well, I've just put my face straight in there, and I can absolutely describe a prickling in my eyes, and uh, my, my sinuses are starting to kind of shut down. But uh, it's quite a sensation and a wonderful smell. Yeah. It's gorgeous. So, so what we can see, and I mentioned about starting with dustbins. So we've moved on a little bit, but this is the same batch size that we've always made mustard in. Uh, what have we got in there? Uh, 120 jars, maybe? Okay. 150 jars? You're just dealing now in multiple, multiple but, but batches. But what you of, see in front yeah. of us is, is 25 of these things. Yeah. This works for us. This is batch process. The word handmade in small batches, we can go and find a label, I think, that was written in 1972 that says that on. And it's really, really important that we carry on doing yeah. that. And if you look at the process here, we have mustard seeds. We have a grinder that looks like something out of the 1950s. I mean, it's cast iron. Yeah, it's amazing bit of kit, this. Amazing bit of kit. Um, I have a feeling, um, I almost feel as though we snuck this across a border. Right. Because I feel that there's something uh, there's, can't be, you know, something naughty about this. Um, that we bought it from a dealer, but we buy uh, these Danish grinders because their stones are, are meant to be some of the best in the world. So you've got two rotating stones inside there, have you? That's what's One static, one, one rotating. Right, so, okay. But, but it's vertical, yeah. whereas the flower world, Miller's use a horizontal. Sure. So this is a vertical. So it's falling through yeah. the, okay. So we put the seed in here, we mix it, we mix it with the whole spice. Down it goes, and we want to retain all the essential oils at that point. So it's ground into a sack. It goes straight into its vinegar mix. So we might all have, happening in this room. All happening in this room. So it goes straight because we don't want to lose anything. Mm. Um, straight into, and here they go. And then everything needs somewhere between five and seven days in barrel. 
It's warmer in here. I mean, we're yeah. talking, what, yeah. into the teens? Yeah, it feels a, it's a little bit warmer. It's also the one, as you see, we've got some extraction because when you're grinding, well, you've got the smell. Sure. Um, I got quite used to this when I was making mustard. And I do have this feeling, although um, Charlie and Luke may disagree with me, but the mustard makers tend not to get ill. Interesting. I think there's a connection. Okay. It's got to be something good about. Well, there is historically quite a lot to be said about mustard and health, and yeah. you know, I mean, we're talking way back to the Romans. They were using mustard in all sorts of Absolutely. things, weren't they? Yeah. And we, we also like the fact that just out here, uh, the Fosway runs just along here. Okay. And um, those Romans that are still walking up and down the Fosway, they must be really pleased that mustard made it here, you know, somehow. Because we think that it was the Romans who brought mustard to the UK. Right, okay. I mean, we obviously blame everything on the. Yeah, what did the Romans ever do for us? But we are, well, as far as we know, they actually brought mustard to the okay, UK. Okay, there we are. Well, thank you very much. I mean, that, I guess that was our major spice for quite a while, wasn't huge, it? Huge, I mean, hugely full of flavour, and you could actually have a, a handful. If you travel with a handful, stuck it in your little in your pocket or your pouch, one handful will produce 10 tons in two crops. So you plant that first handful, that produces, the, you know, maybe gives you a ton, you plant the second one. I mean, it's absolutely, it's, it's absolutely prolific. Right. Um, and you know the stories of the, um, uh, the monks walking the trails. Okay. And they used to throw mustard seed to left and right. I didn't know that. And no. then they could come back and follow Three months later, the trail back. But just so follow the, don't follow the string or the breadcrumbs. Follow the mustard. Follow the mustard. We call this the cook room. It's great. Uh, it's it's like uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a sort of rank upon rank of stainless steel witches' cauldrons and you know paddles and a huge amount of steam. It's yeah. Quite yeah. a quite a sight actually. Uh, and the the the, the th we're making onion marmalade today. So we might do 40 batches of that in a day. And. Um, it's about doing that same thing. So we make this light, open and airy space. And as soon as we go a little bit further around, we've got windows in the factory. And we're immensely proud of those because most factories do not have windows. No. And we can take a wander up here and that have a look. terrific. I mean, the smell is, there's a real sweetness in the air. That kind of slightly vinegar high, tang. High tax. So we've got Jason and Simon. Hello, yeah. gents. How are we? Cooking away. It's really, really important to us that we drive the liquid off. Okay. We're trying to make a really concentrated flavour. So start to finish process is something like two and a half to three hours from the start of onion marmalade to the, to the end yeah. of it. Okay. And that's probably the same with a lot of our cooking processes. And you've probably heard it often, but we do say that one of our key ingredients is time it's part of what we do and our um, our ops team worked out we send out a, a ton of liquid up the chimney every day so Simon starts cooking at seven the rest of the team coming at half past eight so we're starting to get through stuff they're starting to get stuff through the lines so we so Simon when when you when did so you started at seven when did, when did the onions go into the into these cauldrons? The first lot would have gone in at 7 o'clock and it takes a couple of hours to fry them down and then another half an hour once all the other ingredients have been added. Okay, so when would you expect this to be coming out of here and this heading off? It's about half an hour away. Okay, right, so we're nearly, we're nearly there. We're nearly there. Okay. This is probably the second lot you've done yeah, today, so yeah. we, you know, we're working, 
working around and working around and over, over it. You well, know, maybe we just... should let you crack on then if you're that close. Cheers. Thank you very much. And then once we've actually made the product, we just want to get it in a jar as quickly as possible. We worked out at one stage that the cooks were, were lifting not only on the inbound, so all those raw materials, they lift them in, the sugar, the onions, and the whole lot, but they were lifting all the finished products. I don't know how many tons of stuff they were lifting every day, but we thought we'd probably do something sustainable about that. It's not sustainable. No. So we moved on to having this sort of dolly trolley system okay. that allows the product then to get to the rest of it. And actually, it's interesting just mentioning sustainability. We, we had a you know, conversation in your boardroom just before the microphones went on, and that was quite a large part of what you talked about in terms of the ethos of the company. And I guess I go back again to your relationship I'm really interested in your relationship with your suppliers as well because, you know, I'm imagining there are some onion farmers in Lincolnshire that are very happy that you exist. Well, we hope so. And also, that relationship goes back to the, the first time we went and knocked on the door and told, me how, told them how much we might be using. You know, there's probably not that much excitement, but now we're talking about some, some good numbers and good volumes. So we're talking about buying 100 tons of onions. But it gives us a reliability and a really good product. They know what we're trying to make because we share that with them. We say, this is this is what it goes into. Enjoy it, you know, come, let's come and eat it with cheese and biscuits and bread, you know, let's do it, let's do it. And, and the, the lovely thing about what we make is they're really accessible. Yes. And easy for people to understand. It's not going into something that people can't get their hands on. So that sustainability and relationships is really important for and us. And you're buying the vegetables that you know, because it ends up as, as, as a product in a jar, you're buying the, the vegetables that other people maybe are not buying. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. if you've got a yeah. peculiarly knobbly yeah. onion. Yeah, they're the ones that are slightly, they're not quite the right size. So we had a lovely thing where we went down, we buy a lot of tomatoes from the Isle of Wight. There's this lovely thing where we went down and they pick these rows and all the green stuff is, all the green tomatoes are put to one side and we say, where do those go? And they go, well, we don't want those. And they go, we do. So we make a green tomato chutney, and we probably think it's green tomato chutneys are what everybody's mum or grandmother made at some point. Well, it was a good summer for me in my garden. I had a lot of green tomatoes, oh, yeah. so yeah, I've been but, making green but, but we actually make a commercial. So when they get a ton of them, they send them up to us, and we turn them into green tomato chutney. So we think we've got this. You know, we can make thousands of jars of a, of a good product through something that was... And that's good as well because I guess you are you're conforming to you know we talked about the ethos of your company using good quality products, but in a sense you're also using in that case a traditionally perhaps a waste product. Yes. Therefore, the, you know you'll, you'll get a very good price for them, and yes. you know you've got to run a business as well. It's not yeah. you're not just in it for making joyful products in jars. No, you, no. You know, you've got to you run a business. Fifty people you employ. Is yeah, right? fifty people. Yeah. We we we, we the, those are our wider family. Uh, you know, we want to look after. You know, we want to look after everybody, and the business has to make a profit. Has to, because that's the total sustainability. But if we didn't make a good product, we wouldn't. And that's a really important thing for us to keep doing that. So we're going to go into really what we call the packing room. So this is the where it all comes together. There's things whizzing and moving around. And so you can hear the clicking. In fact, as we go in, you'll yes. hear the noise. Yes. This is set up for total flexibility. 
This is a totally automated line. In the middle here, we've got a semi-automated line. So someone is actually sitting behind a machine and pressing a pedal. And I remember doing that in the very early days. It's like um, uh, rubbing your tummy and patting your head. This, this is one of the first machines that we bought to fill. Okay. And, it, and it's a and simple... Is that, mother, is that horse radish? Horse radish, yeah. 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 Look at that. So it looks like a very rapid stainless steel Mr. Whippy. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, so, so, so it's basically just pumping out a, a single amount each time. And then the, this capping machine, which we bought, it nearly crippled the business. But I think we bought that something like 35 years ago. But because we build a good relationship with everybody, so the engineers come over and do it. That's putting the lids on yep. and pulling a vacuum. Mm -hmm. So that's the process of saying, now we're going to hold exact, we've, we've, made, we've, we've made the product, we've turned it into what we want it to be, and now we're going to seal it, and that's it. And then off it goes, and the whole idea is this thing, this is then going off all over the country to what, our over 1,200 independent retailers that we have. Well, and not just this country, you're saying... You... And across the world, yeah. yeah. So, so... And Australia is a big market for you, Australia, is that Australia, right? we do a lot in the States. We've got 18 different marketplaces that mm. we sell to. But the important thing is that everything seems just like a stage development to me. Um, and we but I guess that's your privilege from seeing it from coffee grinder in a kitchen, you know, the spoon and bucket days, to, to where we are now. Yeah, okay, so we're entering a warehouse and going through the classic uh, plastic sheeting. So we're now at the, we're now at the, end, of the, the end of the process. Okay. And I always have this thing that the jars are our representatives across the globe and across the country. And I joke about it, but I like coming in here sometimes at the end of the day, last person switch the lights off and I say, good luck, fellas, <laughs> because they feel that they're representing us. And we have this close relationship with both our consumers and our retail customers. We know very quickly if we've got something wrong. You know, we, because we have that immediate... And you want to hear it. You want and to we want to hear it. Course. But people feel connected to it. So, you know, we did a brand change three years ago. And, you know, we get these, we get these letters or we get these emails come through. You know, what have you done? Why have you done that? You know, and I say, those are good things. That's because people feel connected to yeah. it. Um, all brand changes are, are, are difficult. I feel like Tracklements has been something that has been around in my fridge, on my shelf, on my parents, you know, for a, for a while. And it's it's something about the the obviously when branding works well, it, you know, even if you have a rebrand, it it still retains that that character, and and it's it's got that unique character. You feel like it's a heritage product. Yeah. I, something I, about the labelling that's got heritage, but also now certainly there's a. So look at that, 1970. So those are, thyme jelly. Yeah, uh, mustard, Urchmont mustard, black mustard, yeah. sage jelly. Uh, 1970, as they say, olive oil was available in boots. Uh, <laughs> selling whole grain mustard yeah. was a really unusual thing. Yeah. And um, these were hand. These are handwritten. So this is my father's script. Uh, and we used to. So it's a calligraphy script. It's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. He, right. he is a calligrapher. Okay. So the, these, the and then we moved, the masters were all written and written, mm. and then we moved, and then we've got to the current space where we are, and I feel this emotional attachment because here we are with the script. So uh, my father's eighty-six, by the way, mm -hmm. um, 
but, but um, we've got the script. So, I mean, there's a quite a few sort of, I guess, historical artefacts in here that have relevance to the business today. But, so we founded in 1970. Yes. We are now in 2019. Yeah. So next year? Big year for us. Big yeah. year. Yeah. What, 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 uh, what can we expect? Uh, yeah, well, I Or think... have you had a chance to even <laughs> think about 2019? I, th I thought about, I thought, you know, we thought about it and we'll, we'll, we'll make, some, make some noise. I, 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 what should be celebrated... Um, I want to say not just us. I think that that probably reflects a food revolution in this country. Um, the people who were starting out in the 70s, the fact that there were restaurants, the fact that we had these cheesemakers emerging fr from, a, from an era, you know, I wouldn't say a dark era, it wasn't a bit from an era. And I think there's probably a lot to celebrate alongside that. So we'll probably be looking for people to share that with mm. and say, actually... Isn't it brilliant that we feel as though the door is open to everything, that if you want to start making something the right way, a good way, it can be done. So that was Guy Tilberg of Tracklements. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening. Um, I think it was a great way to kick off 2019. And I look forward to uh, joining you again very soon for the Fine Food Podcast. The Fine Food Podcast is produced by Salomon and Michael Lane of Fine Food Digest. It's edited and presented by me, Sam Wilkin. If you want to know more about the Guild of Fine Food, go to gff.co.uk and check out Salomon Sam on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>